Praise the Lord. Um, <clears throat> we may as well get started with the word today. Um, if you'll join me in a brief word of prayer, Father God, we just thank you for your word. Uh, we uh, we just pray that you would speak to us. And the Holy Spirit, we invite you as the word of God goes forth to convict us concerning that word and to lead us into that truth, uh, to that truth becoming a reality in our lives. Uh, we pray that in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Oh, wow. Have y'all been getting something out of the uh, posture of discipleship uh, series we've been doing? And so praise the Lord. Um, and, you know, but we're continuing on in, in that way. And uh, can 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 y'all tell me what our theme scriptures are? <laughs> Second Chronicles uh, 7 uh, verses 12 to 14. And Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Those have been, a, praise God, y'all are great, great students. All right. We're going to have some gift cards for you too. And <laughs> praise the Lord. And, uh, I just believe that, that, that God's wanting that to be ingrained in us to, 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 He really wants us to take this to heart and really act on it. Um, and so every week I'm going to do what I've been doing. I'm just going to read and not expound on them this time. But Second Chronicles 7 verses 12 to 14 says this. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, everybody say then, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And so in accordance with that, partnering with that verse is then Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. To that effort, our prayer should also be what this psalm says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous or wicked or hurtful, depending on your translation, grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And I believe those two scriptures partnered together kind of exemplifies the posture of discipleship. The humility, the our heart towards the Lord. Okay? Where we're humbly approaching God and inviting him, search me. There may be stuff in there that is a that is in my blind spot. There may be stuff I'm not aware of. I don't want to be blissfully ignorant of it. Search me, dredge it up, make it plain to me, and then lead me in the way of the Lord. Amen? And so let's let the Lord do that work in us. And we don't have to worry about what the unsaved are doing. We don't have to worry about what various leaders are doing. All God said that if my people, all right, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll hear their, heal their land. Amen. All right. So, uh, Psalm 105 is going to be, 
The scripture we start in today, Psalm 105. Sixteenth verse. I'll read through to the twenty second. And this is talking about uh, the character we'll be talking about today in the Old Testament, which is Joseph. And it says, when he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he has sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. Until what he has said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. So, It speaks of the famine that hit the land in Genesis, which we'll be going to. And it says he sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, one who had been sold as a slave by his own brothers. His feet hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. And notice, until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. So what was it that he had said that needed to come to pass? Let's go to Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. And it's probably going to feel like Bible study here, but but that's okay. And we're all, uh, most of us are all familiar with this passage or, or this story. Um, but you know what? Scripture tells, Paul tells us in Corinthians that the things that happen in the Old Testament happen as examples for us today. Right? There are things there. There are biblical principles. There are truths. There are things that are there that we need to learn and grab a hold of and walk in today. All right? None of y'all might be able to relate to this, but Joseph's trouble started out with uh, family issues. I know y'all probably don't have issues in y'all's families, but Genesis chapter 37, (laughs) starting at verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. So he's just a teenage boy. He was a boy with the sons of Billah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Uh Uh-oh. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. 
And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now, that's not Joseph's fault. Right? That his father loved him more than he loved the other brothers, that's not his fault. You know, you have no control over the family you're born into, the family situation you're born into, right? You know, your family is your family. For better or for worse, that's what it is. And your family dynamic is unique to you. In this family dynamic, we got, we got all kinds of drama. You know, We've got more than one wife. We've got children, you know, from, from those wives. We've got uh, a, a dad who loves the children of one wife more than he loves the children of the other. That's going to cause a whole lot of strife and dissension. Now, I can get it. He loved Joseph more than the others because this son he had in his old age. Life, pers- life perspective tends to evolve and change as you get older and you go through the phases of life, Right? Well, I can get it, I can also get how the children would feel toward, the, uh, his brothers would feel the way they did toward Joseph. I, I'm, I'm not going to get into the psychology of everything, but I just wanted to point that out, that, that uh, th- there is things at work here that are not the fault of Joseph. And I think it's important to bring this out as this, as, as this message develops, because oftentimes in our human brains, we tend to think that if we're going through something, that if we suffered a trauma or, or we're in a, uh, a difficult situation or, or we're facing hardship and trials and tribulations, there must have been something wrong with us. There must have been some reason why this is happening to us. And we tend to, we tend to self guilt and self condemn and self blame and, and we focus on our shortcomings rather than what I believe is we're, we're being told in this or is being uh, modeled for us here rather than having a kingdom perspective and wondering what is God saying to me and what is God doing. So Joseph was in the family that he was in. His brothers hated him. Because his father loved him more than them. And he made him a robe of many colors to, to, to show that. Now one day Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, here's what he said. Hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, uh, we were all binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. It's not hard to understand (laughs) what this story means. And his brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. But the hate didn't start with his words or his dreams. The hate was already there. This just kind of fan the flames of it. And I'm not sure how aware he was of it, to be honest with you. I'm sure he knew his brothers were hard on him, and and uh, I can imagine 
they being snippy with him and and uh, being mean to him. But he probably had no idea what that was rooted in. He just knew it. He knew it existed. That's just what I'm. That's just for me. So, but after this dream, oh my goodness, it, it really started to get hot in the house. Then, then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers. And said, behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. His father rebuked him. But he kept it in mind. You know, as Pastor Dale has said over and over and over again, relationship is everything. And we have here in this family, we have relationship issues abounding. Now, this is sibling rivalry, sibling conflict, whatever you want to call it, to the nth degree. And I'm not going to read it here, but you all know what happened. One day, his father sends him to go uh, check on his brothers, and they're out with the flocks, and, and his brothers see him, and they conspire to kill him. One brother talks them all out of it, and they put him in a pit. Now, imagine this. He comes in. He's obeying their father. He's checking on them. He seems to be kind of clueless to uh, the situation as far as his brother's hearts toward him. But he's just, he's innocent. And yet they hate him so much, they contemplated murdering him. His blood brother, same father. One brother talks him out of it, and then they put him into a pit while they deliberated what they would do to him. And along comes these Ishmaelite uh, uh, traitors. They sell their brother into slavery to slave traders, knowing full well he was going to end up a slave in Egypt. Now imagine how much sibling angst you have to have to be able to do that to your brother or sister. And imagined if that, if doing that was the better option of what you plotted to do. That was better because you were going to murder the kid. All right. So, so we all know they took his robe of many colors, they put blood on it, they went back to the father with the bad report and said that a wild animal had uh, must have uh, devoured him. And his, his dad is heartbroken. He's crushed. And I got to admit to you, I've always, for the most part, every time I've read this story, I've read it from the standpoint of relating to Joseph and his struggles and what he must have gone through. But reading it this time, even though he's not a main character that I'm going to address here, reading it this time, they didn't just do that to Joseph. Think about what they did to his dad. Yeah. 
So all these kids were plotting, but Joseph's mom, Joseph's dad, and, you know, and his little brother of the same mother. I mean, this wasn't just something that was done to Joseph. There was rippling effect. There was damage done to other, the other members of the family. Even to themselves, to be honest with you. But uh, flip over to chapter 39, and we'll just read the first six verses of this. They sold him into slavery. Now remember, when we were in Psalm 105, it said, until what he has said came to pass. Now, that's what he has said, those dreams. Until what he has said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. So he endured testing constantly until the fulfillment of the dreams he shared with his family. God gives us dreams, doesn't he? God gives us vision. God gives us direction for where he wants us to go with our lives, where he, what he wants us to do with our lives and so forth. But, but, but there is always an element of testing involved in the journey. Now, we started off with an innocent young 17-year-old boy favored by his father. He gives a dream. He shares it with the people that he loves the most, the people that he trusts the most. And certain members of his family who are already dealing with unforgiveness toward him and bitterness and anger and so forth, all of that, that was like his dreams were like pouring gasoline on a fire. And they were inflamed with rage. And then it pushed them over the edge and they did what they did. And so before I want, before, I want to say this before I move on. Your family, your loved ones are, God gave them to you and they are, and they are precious to you. The relationships that are in those familiar, those familiar relationships are to be preserved and to be fought for and, 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 and demand that we love and forgive each other, that we don't let the sun go down on our wrath, but, but, but that we preserve the sanctity of those relationships before God. Amen? Because God gave us our family. He gave us our loved ones. And we cannot take lightly the preciousness of those relationships, right? This is an example of what can happen if we don't obey God when he says forgive because he forgave us, right? This is an example of what can happen when we let that stuff fester and we justify our anger toward one another. We justify our attitudes toward one another. Then all of a sudden, there could be a catalytic event that happens that that really isn't a major deal, but because we're already at this place, we're already, and we've lived there for a while, and we've not taken it before God and dealt with it, it can, it, it could drive us to do or act, to act in ways that are not only ungodly, but hurtful and damaging to the very people that we love. So I don't want to gloss over that. You know, I don't know the situations in your, in, in your various families and so, uh, so I can't really speak with that 
to uh, any great detail. I can speak to my own family. While I have no angst towards my family, I am a hard person for my family to reach. They call. Sometimes I take it for granted. Oh, I'm busy right now. I'll get back to them. My sister will call. My mother will call sometimes. And I'm just not. It's so much. It, it, it's so bad that when they finally reach me, when I finally answer and say hello, we spend the first five, ten minutes in shock that I actually did so. In dealing with that, which is not, I'm not saying this out of any pride. Uh, Mom, I'm fasting up right now. But we talked on the phone Friday. My mom called me and she was expecting my voicemail and I answered. And so and we ended up talking. So she took advantage of that opportunity and she called all my sisters. And we all ended up on a party line. <laughs> and every one of them gave me crap. Every one of them. And they and they they had the receipts too. They told me about it. They had the one of them sent a caption of a text she had sent me a couple of weeks ago that I had not responded to. Cause I was, I was playing like, oh, are you sure? You sure you tried to reach? You sure you got the right number? It, don't say that to your sisters cause they will, they will prove it to you. <laughs> and we had a great time. We talked for about an hour and 15 hour, 20 minutes right after Bible study, you know, and in that moment, you know, before we hung up, you know, and I, I humbly apologized for my uh, waywardness. And I just said, you know what? We ought to do this every Friday, you know? And so, so now we, so we're committing every Friday we're going to have a family conversation at about 9 p.m. after Bible study just to make sure we're staying in touch with each other. And because if we, if I don't have something definite like that, then uh, I'm going to be the way we're sheep in my family. You know, I just know that about myself. And so it was something that should have been done a long time ago, and it was some some definite action that needed to be taken in order to keep me accountable to stay in touch with my family and to preserve those relationships that I have been taking for granted, really. When they're calling, I don't know, it could be an emergency. It could be some, or when they're texting, you know, um, it, it shouldn't be an emergency for me to have to respond. So, I'm saying this, now y'all can hold me accountable. I invite you to ask me, I invite you to ask me when, you know, about whenever I have I spoken to my mom or my, or my family and so forth, and I will receive it in humility. But it matters. Those unresolved feelings led to the unspeakable. And here we have chapter 39, verse 1. Joseph, his testing started that night when his brothers contemplated murdering him and ended up selling him into slavery. Now, the dream says one thing. These guys were going to bow to him one day, which means God was going to elevate him to a position of power and authority. But upon receiving that dream, God sends Joseph on a path 
that would not seem to end. <laughs> you wouldn't think the path that God sends him on is going to end up in the fulfillment of that dream. So his testing starts. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. I want to say that again. The Lord was with Joseph. I'm going to say that again. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. Wait, wait, but he was a slave though. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw this is amazing. His master saw that the Lord was with him and he saw that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So, so his master, his Egyptian master could see the hand of God on him, the working of God in his life. He sees it. It's a tangible thing. He sees it and he, and he respects it. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Only thing he had to care about was what's for dinner. Now Joseph, well, we, we won't go into that one, but that's another. But, but that's, that's a time of testing. It says from the moment till the moment that it was fulfilled, to the moment those dreams came to pass, he endured testing. I don't, I don't claim to know all the reasons why God was testing him that way, but he tested him in every place. And I know, just like Job's friends, we tend to, we, we have to put a reason on it. There had to be something. Maybe it was pride. Maybe, maybe there was something there. Some, some flaw in Joseph that had to be why God put him through things the way that he put him through. No, it don't have to be that. Not everything God puts us through is for us to overcome some character flaw. God gave him the vision. He gave him the dreams about what he was going to do, about where God was, about what God was going to do in his life. He didn't tell him about the path that would be required for him to get there. God can tell us what's going to be but the faith walk that faith walk in learning to trust God that part is not clear we don't know how it's going to come to pass we don't know what we're going to have to endure we don't know what God's going to put us through but we know that whatever it is 
He's there with us. He's going to walk it out with us. And there is a purpose and a plan in it. Amen? And so, uh, I would say Joseph passed the test because I'm looking at, I'm looking at the fruit. This is testing. Now, keep in mind, how would you feel on the heels of, you know, he had to be begging and pleading with his brothers to let him out of that pit, begging and pleading with his brothers not to do what they intended to do when they decided to sell him into slavery. And they heard his, his, his cry, they saw his tears, they, they, they heard his wails, they heard him begging, and they sold him anyway. You don't just get over that. And here he is in a foreign land. He's been sold like property. He's the, he, 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 the first guy who's his master. You would think he wouldn't get the best of Joseph. That he wouldn't have it in him to really apply himself and to give him everything that he had. But I, I believe Joseph here somehow maintains a kingdom perspective throughout every testing, trying, circumstance and I believe Joseph knew even at a young age this is not my life my life is not my life because if it's my life then God what are you doing with my life what, what, what are you doing here this is not my plan this is my life and you are not respecting my wishes, my comfort, what I want done. This is my life. No, no, no. We have to give up our lives. Our life is not our own. And you can tell Joseph understood that because he would have had to in order for him to be able to handle each situation like he did. And so God favored him. You could tell uh, uh, Potiphar could see the presence of God in his life, the work of God in his life, which means he maintained a surrendered uh, posture, he maintained a relationship with God that was unhindered by the circumstances. And a slave master gave a slave darn near total authority in his house. Imagine that. We won't read it, but Potiphar's wife thought Joseph was pretty hot and decided that she wanted to lay with him. So here comes another test. That Joseph passes. And he says, look, Potiphar has given me control of everything in his house. The one thing he has deprived me of is you and it's your wife. I can't do that to him and I can't sin against God this way. You would think the last person he's thinking about is sinning against God. Come on, don't tell me. Don't, don't, don't act like y'all haven't been there. Oh, thanks a lot, God. 
I was trusting in you. I was doing everything right. I was walking with you. I was doing all the right things. And yet here I am. Thanks a lot. And don't tell me you haven't at least been tempted once or twice to be like, you know what? I was doing well. I ended up here. I might as well sin. Trying to do right. Haven't gotten me anywhere. I believe he, you know, he could have, well, he could have gone there, but he didn't. And so let's go to Genesis 41 verse 50. As I finish this out, you turn there as I finish this out. He refuses his wife's, Potiphar's wife's advance. You know, she didn't just try that once. He turned her down once and she kept doing it day after day after. She kept trying to get him to lay with her. And then finally, she lied on him when when he fled. Uh, she must have uh, turned up the heat and got a little bit more aggressive and he fled and left a piece of his garment behind and she used that to lie on him and say that he tried to rape her and uh, Potiphar had him sent to prison. While in prison, it said again, the Lord was with him. <laughs> Thanks God, appreciate it. Thank you that you're here. But God's with him. And the same favor he gave him with Potiphar, he gave with the uh, the prison overseer. And before long, he gave he he made him head of everything. And then we had a had a cupbearer and a baker were arrested and brought down there. They had dreams. Joseph interpreted those dreams. The uh, baker was going to lose his head in three days. The cupbearer was going to be restored to his position. And he told the cupbearer, remember me when you're standing before the king. Three days later, the cupbearer was standing before the king, just like Daniel interpreted. And he forgot him. Do you know that Joseph, from the time that the cupbearer left the prison, Joseph was in that prison two more years before the cupbearer said, oh yeah, there's this guy in prison. (laughs) Well, and the thing that jogged his memory was that the king had a dream that nobody could interpret. And and the king was troubled by it. And then the cupbearer was like, oh, yeah, there's this guy in prison. So two years later, he remembered Joseph. I think about and I consider what he must have felt like. Was he hoping for to be released within days, within weeks of the cupbearer? Standing before the king again. And, and, and how long did he hold on to that hope? Did he wait on the Lord with patience? I believe he did. Genesis 41 verse 50. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. 
Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. That really spoke to me. Now, Joseph is out of prison now. Like I said, the cupbearer remembered him. He went before the king. He interpreted his dream and let him know that God is telling you that seven years of famine, that seven years of plenty is coming followed by seven years of famine. And he gave him some wise word, wise counsel as to what he needed to do. And, and uh, Pharaoh freed him and made him second in command. So now we're beginning to see for the first time, it be- should become obvious to him that God has positioned him for the fulfillment of this dream. That cannot have been evident to him prior to that point. And you can tell how he feels. His heart is expressed through the name that he gave his children. The first one, Manasseh, for God has made me to forget all my hardship in all my father's house. In Ephraim, because God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now, you know, God can make you fruitful even in your time of testing. Even in your hardship, God can make you fruitful. He did it for Joseph in the house of Potiphar. He did it for Joseph in the prison, right? And Potiphar's house and the prison are where? In Egypt. So he did it for him in Egypt, a land that is not, that does not serve and walk with God. Right? So it's a wicked land and God has still made him to be fruitful. So it said that he endured testing until the time that his words came to pass. So let me list off these testings. He was hated by his brothers. They even mocked him as a dreamer as they were doing it. His brothers wanted to murder him. But ended up selling him as a slave. He is accused of, uh, of rape or sexual misconduct. He's thrown into prison with absolutely zero evidence proving that he did anything. Or that little garment doesn't, doesn't say anything. So Maybe there's some evidence, but not enough to put a man in prison. So he wasn't guilty of anything, yet God allowed all these things to happen to him. Think about that. What did he do that you can say, well, that was a natural consequence right there. Oh, he deserved that. I can see why this happened to him. None of this. The only thing he did was dream and made the mistake of telling. <laughs> he, he had no way of knowing it would be a mistake. And who else would he tell? I mean, the only mistake he did was, uh, was dreaming and, uh, and God gave him the dream. He had no choice but to dream. But only mistake he made was uh, telling his family. But that wasn't a sin. 
They have to own their own actions. What they did was not his fault. It was on them. And uh, also to a degree on his dad. And so I want to I want to go, I'm going to skip a lot of stuff, and I'm just going to go to the part where uh, Joseph, leading up to where Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. So the famine hits, right? Joseph's brothers have to come up because they're affected by the famine, and uh, the famine is so severe, uh, their lives are in peril. So they heard that there's food in Egypt, and so his brothers come to Egypt. Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize him, and he puts them to the test. And he wants them to go bring their little brother back, um, Joseph's little brother. And he holds on to one of them. And says, you will not see my face again without your little brother. Don't come back here without your brother. They come back with their brother, and then he wants to keep the little brother. He still hasn't revealed himself. And that brings us to Genesis 44. Let's start at the 24th verse. Genesis 44, starting at the 24th verse. And it reads this, when we went back, and the brother is pleading with Joseph, who he doesn't know is Joseph. He doesn't know this is his brother. He's pleading with him why he, why he doesn't want to do what Joseph has demanded of him. And he says, look, when we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. But we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces, and I've never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to show. See, he wanted to keep the boy. He said, we can't go back without him. It'll kill our dad. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. He's like, let's let me stay. Let the boy go. And let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. You know, and I believe after what they did, you know, in the middle of their anger 
and their bitterness and their unforgiveness and their resentment. You know, they, they did what they did to Joseph, but I believe after that, after that and after seeing how it tore their father apart, you know, they began to have remorse and they, and there were repentant hearts in there and they probably thought they would never have an opportunity to make it right. But, you know, but they were like, I'll be darned if we do this again to our dad. It almost broke him to lose Joseph. If he loses this one too, it will kill him. We will not let that happen. We will not. And so it's, so they have heart change. And I think it's the consequences, uh, this is, I think, the residual of what their actions were uh, uh, towards Joseph. I think they ended up being humbled and their, and their hearts uh, softened. Going into the next chapter, verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. You know, that's probably the last person they thought they'd be standing and groveling before based on what they did to him. So I, I, I give them a, I pardon them for their uh, shock. And here's the crux of it. I felt like it was important to read all that before here, before this. So Joseph said to his brothers, verse four, come near me, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. You know, now I got to imagine if I was one of his brothers, I'd be after he started that first part of that sentence. I'm your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. You know, I wouldn't be expecting anything good to come after that. All right? I'd have been expecting, a, oh, well, how you like me now? Now payback time. All right? So I am Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. But don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. What happened to me? You were vehicles. You were instruments. Now, God, it's amazing. God could even use angry, bitter instruments to accomplish his will. Right? And so, and so he's like, you did this to me, but no, 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 no. Don't be angry or bitter with yourselves. God sent me before you. God knew you would eventually come here needing, needing provision for your life to be uh, uh, preserved. And I want to say something. Uh, we're dealing with Joseph. His father is Jacob, also known as Israel, right? And so there are promises that go back as far as Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
And God made promises to Abraham that were to be fulfilled. He couldn't let Israel or his family die because there were promises through them that would require they be preserved. Right? And so God put Joseph through all of this to put him in a position in Egypt where he would be able to preserve the promises of God through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen? And so there is a higher plan at work. There, there, there is a higher thing at work here that, that, that is larger than Joseph. That's larger than the situation that he's afflicted by. That's even larger than his family squabbles. There is a greater plan that God is working. And sometimes in those plans, we're going to have to take one for the team. Right? It, it, that's just how it's going to be. And there's not always going to be an explanation. We can look back on it now and see, oh man, the plan of God, you know, th- this, this drought, this famine that was going to come would have wiped them out if God had not done a miraculous work, if he had not given that dream to, to Joseph. And, 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 and the bitterness of his brothers had not been a catalyst to sell him into slavery to Ishmaelite slave traders that would end up selling him as a slave to Egypt. The one place that would have the capacity to preserve not only itself, but the surrounding lands. And give him favor while he's going through all these things, give him favor and put him in a position where he could be elevated and and, into the authority that, that God prophesied to him in that dream for the express purpose of using him to save many lives, of using him to preserve his promise, his, his faithfulness and his promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Amen? And so there's a plan of God that's going on here. And so, yes, we see what Joseph had to endure, but overarching that is what it was, what, what, what it brought about. By God's divine, all-knowing will and his power and might. And Joseph understood that. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you. So he reiterates it again. And God sent me here before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. He's speaking to that promise. Amen. To preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. And here's really what got me. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Are you kidding me? They're the ones that sold him into slavery. He ended up there in Egypt as a slave because of their actions. But he, but he says here right before them and says, no, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. God had a plan that required that I be here. The circumstances of my life that brought me here were necessary in order for me to get here. To do what God called me to do in this place, in this time. So that many lives can be saved. 
And he says, he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. That's God, man. So Joseph told his brothers who he was. And he forgave them completely because he saw the situation from a kingdom perspective. He, re- he understood, like I said last week, either God has all authority or he doesn't. All right? Either God is ruling or reigning or he isn't. And if he is, then we've got to at least accept the, the, the possibility that we are where we are because he allowed it. And it may be a part of his design. And then if we can accept that, then we can begin to inquire of him about that design. What, 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 what is it that you're doing, Lord? What, what, what is it I'm, what is it that I'm supposed to do in the here and now that, 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 that would be in obedience and in cooperation with your will and your work right now? Um, Joseph could have been so focused on the dream. If he had stayed focused on that dream and his perception of what that dream would be and how it would materialize, he would have had such a hard heart, he would not have been able to be used of God in a way that gave him the favor that he enjoyed when he was in the prison and when he was in Potiphar's house and when he was before Pharaoh. Sometimes we have to be willing to just Okay, God, you gave me this vision. You gave me this dream. You, you, I, I know it's from you. But sometimes we got to be willing to let that thing die. Okay? It's like, it, uh, we cannot pursue it like Abram and Sarai did when they were waited so long about the promised child and they decided to do something on their own to make it happen. We don't want to produce an Ishmael. Alright? We want to produce an Isaac. Amen? And so, I don't want to be so focused on that dream and that vision that I end up acting in a way that produces an Ishmael. So, okay, Lord, I trust that vision to you. I don't know how that's going to come to pass. And uh, if I was marking out a plan to get to that, I wouldn't have set myself on the path that you got me on right now. But but I'm on this path right now. And so, Lord, uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to bow the knee and I'm just going to inquire of you. What would you have me do right here, right now, in this moment? And what is that faith step that I take right now? And I'll trust you, and I'll patiently wait for the fulfillment of that which you have given me. Because I trust you. You are a promise keeper. If you gave me a promise... That promise will come to pass. So I need not worry about if, when, and where, and all that other stuff. I just need to walk with you right now. So he, so he saw it from a kingdom perspective and realized that his life was, his life was not his, his life. <laughs> I'll put it that way. His life was not his life. His life belonged to the Lord. So through this, 
God kept his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'd like to think that I would forgive my siblings like Joseph did. I believe I would, but I've not nearly been tested like I've not been through this and hope I never am. You know, um, I imagine there were a bunch of tears. I imagine there was, I don't know, it just, um, it, it probably would have taken me a few more minutes to reach that point. Or days or months or years, who knows. But their relationship was restored. You had repentant hearts on the part of his brothers, but that relationship could not have been restored if Joseph wasn't willing to forgive. And so he forgave. And they went back and they told their father everything. <laughs> I don't know. I can't help but think about this. Because now they're going to tell their dad Joseph is alive. But they can't do that without also admitting that they lied to him in the first place. And admitting how he ended up in Egypt. So they've got to admit that they lied to him about the death of their brother and that they sold him <laughs> to Egypt. All this stuff works out and it's probably good that we don't really get into the, to the details of how that back and forth went. All it tells us is that he didn't believe him at first and, uh, and then, and then they convinced him and, uh, he accepted the truth and we know he really wanted to see his son badly. Right. And so what did he do once he believed them? He wanted to go see his son. But, you know, he's in the land of Canaan, right? Isn't Canaan the promised land? Isn't that? I mean, he's where God's promise wants him to be. So he's got to make a decision. Whoo! it's either stay in the promised land or go and see my son. What do I do? Now, the promised land right now is stricken with famine I can't stay here and all go well with my family my son my favorite son is in Egypt and he's got a nice setup down there that that could take care of us and help us endure through this famine but I'm here in Canaan not by accident I'm here by the will of God so do I stay here or do I go you know the song do I stay or do I go something like that do I stay or do I go? 
So let's see what he does. Uh, uh, chapter 46, verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. That's what he, basically he went to the Lord. And God spoke to Israel in a vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes when he passes away. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt. Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters. All his offspring he brought with him uh, into Egypt. But um, but that exchange that Joseph had with his brothers, I mean, is so important that we that we really uh, re- receive that. It's so important that we really incline our ear and give our heart to that. How important relationship is, how important it is uh, 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 to, to forgive so that we can have, it's twofold. When we are choosing to forgive someone, we're not just choosing to love them, we're choosing to love God because God is the one who has commanded us to do that. So when we choose not to forgive, then we're choosing not to love God because he said, if you love me, you'll do what I say. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll obey me. So, so, it, so in that moment, we got to realize, hey, there's a bigger picture here. All right. My choice doesn't just belong to me. My feelings doesn't just belong to me. My desires doesn't just belong to me. My life doesn't just belong to me. I belong to the Lord. Right. And so, this decision needs to be one that acknowledges and honors that, right? And so it may be a hard thing to do, but I have to choose forgiveness and God's going to have to give me, he may have to give me the grace to walk in it, but it has to be my choice to choose forgiveness. I choose to obey God in this matter. And because Joseph had a kingdom perspective and he realized, I don't know how soon it was or how long it took him to realize it, but he realized, uh, at some point that my, this isn't just something my brothers did to me. This is something that God has done. And because he acknowledged that he was able to keep the proper perspective and he was able to be used of God and, and enjoy the favor of God in a way that ungodly people could observe him. And see God working on him and in him and through him. Amen. And he's able to do that with us. We don't have to have perfect circumstances for God to really move in us and through us for him to really do great and mighty things in us. You know, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's almost better if the circumstances aren't perfect. And I've never known perfect circumstances. Is, is anybody here ever known perfect circumstances? 
All right. All right. So we, so we crossed that bridge. We, we're never going to get those things. And so the, the task before us is what do we do in the here and now? In, in light of the present circumstances, what is it that God requires of me? What matters is what he's doing and how I can partner with that. Are you hearing me? So I'm going to ask you all to stand. And I don't know, I, I didn't know what I would, what I would call this. Uh, I didn't, I didn't come up with a, a different name. So, you know, the, the, the title is still uh, Posture of Discipleship and the subtitle was just Testing, Testing. And some of you may be in your testing season right now. I want to encourage you that God's in the testing season with you. All right? And you may feel that you're in your testing season because of the actions of someone else. And you may have told yourself, I just can't forgive that person. If it wasn't for that person's actions, I wouldn't be in the situation that I'm in. Yada, 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 and all that. Maybe that person is the person you see in the mirror every morning. I would encourage you to obey God and forgive that person or persons. I would encourage you to adopt a kingdom perspective that at least considers the possibility that it wasn't just what that person did but that it's God's doing and that there is a reason for it. A reason that may not have materialized yet and who knows if and when that it will, but it may not have materialized yet, but it will in due time. But until that time comes, I would encourage you to just say, God, my life is not my life. My objective should not be to get my way. My comfort, my aspirations, the image that I have in my mind of what my life ought to be and, 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 and how things ought to be in, uh, for me. All that stuff, I just consider it done. I, I, I'm just pursuing you, Lord. I just want to know that you're here with me. That you're here with me in this. If I, if I simply know that you're here with me, Lord, uh, then everything is going to be all right. And I would encourage you to invite God to use you where you're at right now, today, in the situation that you're in. Just like he used Joseph when he was a slave in Potiphar's house. Just like he used Joseph when he was a prisoner unjustly uh, sentenced. Just like he used Joseph in Egypt 
He can use you in your current circumstance, in your current situation, no matter how bad it is, he can use you and he can make a way out of no way. You just have to keep your eyes on Jesus and let him guide you through. In, in, in closing, I would just invite y'all to join me in the little uh, chorus, just the chorus part of uh, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Father God, we turn our eyes upon Jesus. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your faithfulness to us. And Lord, your word says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but that we should be of good cheer for you, for you have overcome them all. You've overcome the world. And so, Lord, we thank you because you have overcome the world. In you, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. And so, Father, I just, I just, pray for your your peace and your strength. Uh, For those of us who are going through a time of testing, I I don't know what those tests are, Lord, and and, and it may seem that there is one test after another, like it's nonstop, and uh, just like Joseph must have felt. But Father God, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts and comfort us through the working of the Holy Spirit, that there is purpose in it. That there is a plan in it and that it is for our good. That things will work together for the good for those of us who who love you, Father God, and are called according to your purpose. Give us the strength, Father, to wait patiently on you. The dream will happen. The vision will come to pass. In due time, in due season, what you have put in our hearts will come to pass. So we don't have to fret. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be worried about all that. We can cast it at your feet knowing that your faithfulness to us will bring it to pass. So just speak to us, Father. Let your presence be made known to us in a real and tangible way and and, and and speak to us as to how we might honor you where we're at. How we might be used of you and, and, and how we might be a blessing that might save many lives. Whether it saves one life or many lives, Father God, we just want to be used by you. We just want to honor and glorify you. We want to make you known to those who don't know you. So we ask you to to work on us in that way, Lord.
Strengthen us and encourage us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.